IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, we review albums and we hash out trends. In this episode we review new albums by Mitski and Animal Collective. My name is Stephen Hyden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host. You can buy his review of Childish Gambino's Camp as an NFT. Ian Cohen. You know, Ian, how are you? I think the real, I think the real money move is putting your old like articles from what was it, the Appleton Record or whatever it is. Like we need, we, we yeah, the <laughs> Appleton yeah. Post Crescent. We need to get that the Appleton first gig, Post Crescent. Man. We need to like really dig in the crates to get these rare. Uh, these iconic pieces of music journalism. What was it like? What what was the band that like you totally ripped on that got you like the version of ninety nine like nineteen ninety nine soft canceled on Twitter? Was it Corn or Creed? Yeah, no, it was Corn. It was twenty years ago. I I reviewed a Corn concert and um, I didn't like the show. And I, you know, I read my review. I was pretty snotty in that review. I I'm actually on the side of the fans in retrospect. Because yes. I've also come around on corn since then. At the time, I I, I hated corn, but I've come around on corn uh, in the past two decades. So I'm actually on the side of the the Stan Army for corn. I was a bit of a jerk in that review. So yeah, if we want to do that as an NFT, you know, I was joking about your uh, review of Childish Gambino's the camp gift that being keeps an on NFT. Getting. That and Kid Cudi. <laughs> it's great. I do wonder though if at some point Condé Nast will be selling. Pitchfork reviews as NFTs. That's like not totally beyond. Well, the realm you know of what? As long as I get a cut of it, like I don't care. Like monetize. <laughs> oh, you're not. You're I'm, not getting a cut. Yeah, dude. I'm gonna go ahead and like rework uh, whatever contract, like whatever uh, art, like whatever agreement uh, I signed or back in whatever day where it's like I'm sure that they got good lawyers who have allowed for the possibility of like different streams of monetization. You know which. We're seeing with like musicians as well. It's like, well, we didn't. It was, I think, Fortet, uh, the guy, uh, you know, electronic musician who made a lot of music. I'm really into um, their deal with Domino was made prior to streaming, and I think the way it was structured was that it, it it's very vague as to like what new forms of revenue like that weren't even considered back then might do. So, yeah, I mean, who knows how they're going to be making money off of music in ten years? I mean, if there's going to be uh, you know, uh, moon rocks or something. They're going to be implanting yeah. songs into moon rocks and they'll be worth a million dollars. <laughs> and Elon Musk will own every yeah. song known to you. You know man. what? If He'll Elon Musk is reading you know, like a review I wrote about like freelance whales back in 2009, I mean, like I'll feel a little more accomplished than I do now. What if like, you know, one day you're, you're looking at your inbox and you see an email from Elon Musk and you're like, what? What? Why is Elon Musk writing me? And he's writing to complain about your review of Childish Gambino's camp. Like, Ian, 1.6, that's your IQ, dude. You know what? It would would not be too off-brand if he were to do that. So, um, like... uh, That'd be pretty amazing. uh, Unlike most, I don't know, people acting as celebrities in my email box, like, he's one who I would assume... Like, I would take it at face value. It's like, yeah... He seems pretty bored most of the time. So, therefore, I'm just going to go ahead and assume that Elon Musk, like, A, he seems like the type of dude who would really, really like camp. And secondly, <laughs> he seems like the type of dude who would email me off the, off, you know, off the strength of that. So, 
Elon Musk, he writes you, he said, while I find the This Is America era too preachy from Childish Gambino, I do love camp, yeah. and your review is way off base. I mean, he married Grimes, or he had a baby with Grimes. I don't know if they were married. Yeah. So he's obviously a pitchfork reader at some point <laughs> in his life. Isn't, that, you isn't know? that kind of like fucking scary that like like a person with that much money and power like you know may have been just like reading the for you like because i know you were there in like the grimes era like some d slot review that you wrote yeah but you know again my pitchfork writing career is very undistinguished you know i was i I like to joke that i was reviewing johnny mar solo records Mm -hmm. and like late period camper van beethoven albums uh nothing against either one of those artists but yeah i wasn't getting the childish gambino review yeah that that you were getting um you know, we're talking about NFTs. I thought that we should at least bring up one of the big music stories of the week, which was this weird music website that popped up called Hitpiece. Uh, and they were selling NFTs of songs, apparently without the permission of artists. So you could go in there. And look, I, I just want to say at the start that, because okay, I saw people talking about this. I didn't follow it that closely because I don't care enough about NFTs yeah. to even get <laughs> upset about them. I don't even I don't even like complaining about NFTs because it, it's such a tiresome topic to me on every level. Obviously, I don't like people selling an NFT of a song without the permission of the artist. Presumably, the artist wasn't going to be getting any of the money from these NFTs. I'm get, you know, if you haven't given permission, you're probably not going to give them money. Um, I don't know. I, I I see people pontificating about this, getting upset about it. And not to say that you shouldn't pontificate against it, but I just I do I, I still don't care enough about it to care to feel either yeah, way about I, it. I'm very th- this happened I think on Monday when I was at uh, Universal Studios Hollywood all day, so I wasn't on Twitter. And like this is one of the stories where what were you doing at Universal? St- you riding like the Simpsons roller coaster? Better fucking believe it. Yeah, that going to you know Harry Potter World, uh, buying a fifteen dollar crusty burger. Um, Look at you. Yeah, seriously. Just, just take it. Just taking a personal day. Going to the Universal <laughs> Studios theme park. Yeah, shout to them. Um, I love it. <laughs> but yeah, like so you know, obviously it's a day where I'm like you know trying intentionally to be off Twitter, and I think pretty successful. And then, you, like, when I check in at the end of the day to see if I have like, any, like, direct messages that I need to attend to, it's like, you see that this story has already been processed and evolved in so many ways where it's like, I just can't get, like, I'm going to ho- let this one pass and just not really care about it and hope it doesn't, you know, affect our latest episode of IndieCast. Um, let, you know, just have enough information to, to, to hash out trends, you know, this is, like, all I need from it because, I mean... Yes, I know that like care not caring about NFTs is probably like not the good move in the long game. Like I don't know if the like I don't know how long they'll last, but they're not going away at least kind of soon. So my like this is just one of those like scams where uh, I know enough about it to be insulted that we weren't included. You know what I mean? Like, if someone was <laughs> right. trying to sell episodes of IndieCast without our permission, like, I want to be seen on the level as some of the artists I've seen complain about it, you know? And it's, the pe- like, when, when I've read the articles, it's, like, the same people who, like, you can usually see being outraged about anything that's happening. Like, I don't need to name names. <laughs> if you're, like, terminally online the way I am, you know who it was. Um, yeah. And so, 
Yeah. Like, and I'm sure we're gonna re- we're gonna get like an artist op-ed uh, yeah. in the near future about like how you know this is like the end of music and so forth. I mean, it's like I guess it was good that something else took the place of like taking your music off Spotify as far as performative outrage. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. There was the Joe Rogan thing, and then there was, but that's it's still, still going, going. I feel like I feel like the. The hit piece thing, like you said, it had a relatively short shelf life. It was a way for people to vent about NFTs, which a vocal contingent of people in social media hate. But I'm guessing rich tech bro type people, they love NFTs. I wonder if there's going to be a version of NFTs that aren't NFTs, like the next... um, you know, evolution of something like this and that that's going to be the thing that takes off because it seems like the roadblock right now is that people don't really understand like what the hell this is and how can you have a unique version of like a yeah. digital product? I mean, it doesn't really make any sense. Yeah, I do not um, fucking understand. Like this is the thing. It's like, I, I don't care about it because I don't understand it. And boy, this makes me sound like re- like a really awesome open-minded person. But like, I don't know. I don't... I think of it as like, well, I probably don't have crypto or NFT money, so ergo, like, worrying about it probably isn't a productive use of my time. I'm going to say that my mind is so closed that it's actually open because okay. I don't I don't care either way. I'm just saying, like, I do not care. I don't care enough to get upset about it. Mm. I don't care enough to be excited about it. My mind is so closed that, like I'm saying, I think it's actually kind of open because maybe I'm open to being persuaded okay. one way or the other. That, when you say that, like, my mind is so closed that it's open, that kind of <laughs> sounds like a Tool lyric. And, like, I just wonder <laughs> if, like, a Tool song, like, about crypto or NFTs would be anti or pro because I could really see oh, it yeah. going really hard in in one of the two directions. Like I'm I'm going to say Maynard James Keenan is anti huh. because he's like a Mr. Show guy. I could see him just being cynical about any trendy yeah, you know, tech bro type invention. I so I would lean toward Maynard being against it, but maybe like Danny Carey, the drummer, <laughs> the drummer, maybe he's into it. Yeah, you know, maybe like I, there's I'm not saying they all agree. There's, there's definitely one, guy. one. There's definitely one guy <laughs> in the band. Like in all yeah. of like the bands from that era, there's one guy who's got like you know kind of messed up politics. But um, yeah, I actually you know that I got to thinking. It's like as far as you know, people saying, oh, what's gonna you know put for Spotify's hand. Uh, you know, it's certainly not going to be like, you know, with all due respect, Joni Mitchell or like failure, the band. Like, I would just love to see if like Tool got in there. It's like if if, if like Joe Rogan's fan, like I'm imagining there's a lot of overlap between Joe Rogan's fan base and Tool fans. Um, but yeah, I, I think that like people are saying, oh, Taylor Swift needs to, you know, make a statement or what about Adele? It's like, nah, if you want to hit him where it hurts, you got like Tool's got to do something here. I, you know. I'm going to say, and look, this is pure speculation. <laughs> we're just guessing. No, we're not. We're always spitting Keenan. facts on this show. I, but I'm, I'm speculating. I'm going to make an educated guess that Maynard James Keenan is anti-NFT. And I think there's a, there's a good chance that he's maybe also anti-vax. I wouldn't be shocked if he's anti-vax. No basis in, uh, you know, I haven't done any reporting on this. But I'm just saying he could be anti-vax. I wouldn't be shocked. All right, just- I'm guessing... At least one guy in tools anti-vax. One guy in tools pro NFT. Yeah. 
one guy's probably anti-vax. Yeah, it's like the Beatles. You got the boy band. Like, you got the 2022 <laughs> boy band type thing where it's like, one's anti-vax, one's pro-crypto, <laughs> one's uh, got, like, a problematic TikTok. Like, uh, by the way, I just got to say this. Like, there, I did an interview with a, with a band from that era uh, recently, and he, like, the first thing this person said, because the light was hitting my head in a certain way, he's like, oh, I thought you were keen in. It's like, no, dude, you should take that as a compliment. So, or no, it's like, you look kind of like Maynard. I'm like, well, I'll, I'll, I guess that's like better than what I have been getting. So yeah, this is a very unexpectedly tool centric episode, but I don't and mind I know. that. Well, we got on a, on a tangent here. I, to pull back to what <laughs> we plan to talk about uh, in our banter segment here, I feel like we need to talk about Black Country New Road. We do. Uh, they have a new record out today. Uh, it is called... Ants from up there. We were actually going to probably talk about them in the body of our episode, or at least in Recommendation Corner. Um, but we're talking about them up front because the lead singer yeah. of this band, he left the band. Yeah. And I don't know how many of our listeners know about this band. They, I think they put out their first record last yeah, year. Yeah, they did. And it was very well received. I think we talk about it a few times in banter or just off the cuff. They were lumped in with that you know, talky British post-punk thing. Yeah, about the absurdity I, of the modern world. Yeah, which, I mean, uh, especially with this new record that's coming out, I don't think they belong in there at no. all. I mean, we were just talking about Tool. I think they do have <laughs> some prog rock tendencies oh, yeah. on this record. You love this record. I'm really into it. I'm, like, I... I have made like a 180 on this band um, because I went back and actually listened to the first record uh, in, for the first time and like, nope, still don't like it. Uh, this new one, I mean, the distance between this and say like Young Jesus or The World's Beautiful Place or like Ockerville River for that matter, not that far. But I mean, every time I really get into a new band, like there's this, you know, this underlying fear of please don't do or say anything that makes me feel like an asshole for like, you know, going on the record saying I like you. And, you know, it, it's, it's almost like when you see a car trying to merge from a different lane and it's like, oh shit, it's going to hit me and it's not stopping. Like I have this like reflexive instinct when I see a band who's not like top of the top of the front homepage, who's on the top of the homepage with a band picture and like a long headline, like I don't even have to read it. And I'm like, fuck, you know, cause that just means it'll usually say multiple allegations have come forth and it's like, ah, oh, fuck, not these guys. And, you know, I read it and it seems pretty amicable. It just seems like the guy left the band because I don't know, maybe it wasn't great for his mental health. So it'll be very interesting to see how this uh, plays out with, the evolution because the band's still gonna go like there's like eight other people in the band they're still gonna make music they're not gonna go on tour but um yeah it'll be interesting to see how uh the reception or the uh you know reputation of this record goes from there but it, it really bums me out uh yeah, to see it, this happen and, and he is um a, a, a big part of the band yeah. like just his his vocal style is very distinct yeah the Again, lyrics is... are very distinct you know Lyrics are distinct. He has that deadpan delivery that a lot of those talky post-punk British bands do. Mm -hmm. But again, musically, um, it's much more expansive yeah. than a lot of the other bands that are surrounding uh, Black Country New Road. Um, there's almost like a 
like a British folk element on some of the songs yeah. that it reminded me of like listening to like old Fairport convention records right. on, on, on some of the tracks. <laughs> and then other tracks are, um, you know, almost reminded me of like glacial nineties post-rock yeah. indie music, you know, like slint, things like uh, that. Uh, there's some songs that go on for nine minutes, mm-hmm. real kind of zone out type stuff. It really is um, the kind of like epic indie rock record that I that I know you love and oh, I really yeah. love it too. I'm not surprised that this is your favorite album mm-hmm. of the year so far. Um, and you know the thing about this band, like I don't like this record quite as much as you do, but they are the kind of band where I feel like their next record is either going to be a masterpiece or a total disaster. Like Yuck but 2.0 the, <laughs> when they but, lost but their the kind, lead singer. But the kind of disaster that uh, will be fun to talk about oh, yeah. in 10 years, uh, if we still have this show. Uh, they're just that kind of band. They swing big. Yes. And uh, they're not boring. They might not always succeed, but they're not boring. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm intrigued by them like, hiring a new lead singer or if someone else in the band's going to sing. Yeah. Is this going to be like... Phil Collins mm. going out from behind the drums and becoming the new singer after Peter Gabriel leaves Genesis, or are they going to bring in like Sammy Hagar, <laughs> like Van Halen? Just hire Sammy Hagar. Yeah, uh, Black Country New Road. Yeah, they, they need more songs about like partying and tequila. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and pound cakes <laughs> and uh, things like that. Uh, but yeah, definitely check out that record. Yeah, it's, great. it's one of one of the like really good indie r- records to come out so far this year. Um, one thing I'm a little disappointed by, and uh, not good coordination by Red Hot Chili Peppers management to, because yeah. they're releasing a new single today. Yes. <laughs> today being Friday, uh, and it's going to be after we recorded this episode. I feel like if they would have coordinated, they would have done it Thursday morning when we record, so we could have talked about it. Yeah. Um, let's, let's think big picture here, Warner Brothers. Yeah, come on. I mean, people are going to, they're going to want our take. Yeah, on the new Chili the, Peppers song, and they're gonna have to wait a week, or they're gonna have to go on Twitter, I guess, because <laughs> if we're if we're yapping about it there, um, John Frusciante back in the band. It seems like people are excited yeah. for this, you know, <laughs> like a new ch- Chili Peppers. I mean, we we've talked about this more than once on this podcast. We keep bringing the Chili Peppers back in. Um, I don't know. I I I want to like it. I, I'm in a place where I want to <laughs> like this song. Like I'm hoping it's good. Yeah, I, I I think that with the Red Hot Chili Peppers and you know there there's been so like so many bands from that era be, being reclaimed. Um, I don't know if like I don't know where the opinion stands on Red Hot Chili Peppers. Whether people think they are terrible or whether they're like low key good or they're just kind of like we appreciate the fact that they exist. Um, but I. Th- I don't know. It's like I, I I want it to be good as well. I think it would just be more fun if like they came back and were like themselves and good as opposed to like kind of the mid-tempo like by the way um, Californication sort of thing. Like if they were somehow able to like make another version of like Suck My Kiss or like Give It Away. Um, I, I want that so bad for them. I really, yeah. really do. My sense of the Chili Peppers is that Music critics our age tend to make fun of them, but music critics who are 10 to 15 years younger than us mm-hmm. like them hmm. or are more willing to like them. Well, they didn't live through the one hot minute era. Like they, <laughs> like 
I'm like not. I'm like not being. I'm not being bullshit here. Like they probably grew up like you know their dads or mom are driving them to school or whatever, and like scar tissue and the Californication are on the radio yeah. or other side or all the fucking time, and so that might be what they know them as. You know what I mean? Well, not even. Just one hot minute, like mother's milk, and you know, um, wearing the socks. Uplift on, mofo, uplift mofo party plan. You got to yeah, give a shout out to the that. socks on the penises, like that yeah. era of Chili Peppers. Which um, I don't know how they haven't been canceled. Chili Peppers. Oh no, are no. Very if you read the books, I mean, Anthony Kiedis's book is like, uh, 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 it, it's damn near like OJ. If I, like that OJ book, like if I did it, this is how. As far as, like, if I were canceled, like, this is all the reasons that you would. I don't know if there was, like, a statute of limitations on that, dude. But, yeah, they... Or maybe this is the record that finally gets them to shut it down. Who the fuck knows? I don't know. They seem to have skated. Yeah, I think they (laughs) they have that classic rock exemption, like, where people know, like, oh, David Bowie did some things. Yeah, charged the game or whatever. Or John Lennon, you know, it'll get brought up on Twitter every now and then. Like, people will just discover something from a musician's past, and it'll trend for 12 hours. But then it gets forgotten, and it doesn't really seem to affect their legacy. It seems like the Chili Peppers are in that camp, because, again, if you wanted to take down Anthony Kiedis or any of the people in that band, not very hard. It's yeah. one it's one Google search away from taking them down. Not that I think they should be taken down. I'm just I'm a little surprised it hasn't happened. Yeah. But uh, you know, God bless the Chili Peppers. I can't believe I just said that. No, but, I can. Know, yeah, I can. I, this this really tracks with IndieCast as a whole. Like, yeah, I want it to be good. So I guess we'll find out. Like when people are listening to the show, <laughs> they will know if the song is any good, and they're gonna maybe think it's kind of funny that we don't know what it sounds like yet mm. when they listen to this episode. Uh, let's get to our mailbag segment. Yeah. Thank you all for writing us. We're at uh, IndieCastMailbag at gmail.com. Uh, always great to hear from our listeners. Uh, Ian, yeah. do you want to read this one? Absolutely. This comes to us from Keith in Oxford, Florida. I had Ooh. no idea there was an Oxford in Florida. Uh, do they speak in British accents or no. <laughs> in that Florida town? I don't know. I know Oxford is like usually the name of like a college town. I know that's the case in uh, you know Mississippi. I think in Ohio, that's right. um, yeah. in, you know England. So very learned part of Florida. <laughs> yeah, Oxford. Yes, sounds very dignified. Learned scholars. Um, anywho, in tank tops. Yes, uh, Keith says, "Hey guys, longtime listener and reader, first time mailbag letter writer." I don't get the sense that either of you spend too much time worried about who is and who is not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But in light of the 2022 nominees being announced, I'm curious if you had a vote, big if, how would you prioritize your personal criteria for selections? Do you go with influence over popularity or sales? Where does critical acclaim, originality, longevity factor in? What other criteria would you consider to determine what makes an artist worthy of induction? So Keith assumes that we don't have votes. Ah, I do have a vote, Keith. Yes. I am a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame voter as of last year. That was the first time I voted. Ian is not in. I am not. I'm working on it. I'm working on getting you in there Eh. because we need to have full IndyCast representation in the voting pool. Um. So, 
I don't know if I should answer this first, or do you want to answer this first? Yeah, uh, I mean... Should the non-voter answer first, and then we'll get to the voter? Like, you want to be my opening act <laughs> here and yeah. answering this question? Yeah, this is definitely, like, Steve pulling rank after the whole, like, oh, I just reviewed Johnny Marr's solo albums at Pitchfork. Well, <laughs> let me fucking pull this card out. Um, yeah, you know, you're right in that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominations were announced, and... I mean, this is yet, th- this like somehow ranks below the hit piece NFT story as far as things that sparked my interest. Like, I mean, I. Should, we, should I read the, the nominees? Quick? Yeah, let's just do that. So these are the nominees. And just uh, to clarify here, these, they are not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame yet. The, there's a nominating committee. They nominate usually about 15 to 18 people. I think there's 17 this year. And then the voters. We'll vote. Uh, we we pick five people out of here. So the nominees are Beck, Pat Benatar, Kate Bush, Devo, Duran Duran, Eminem, Eurythmics, huh. Judas Priest, Fela Kuti, MC5, New York Dolls, Dowie Parton, Rage Against the Machine, Lionel Richie, Carly Simon, and. A Tribe Called Quest, Dionne and Warwick. also Dion Warwick. Multimedia thread. Th- that is the craziest uh, festival yeah. lineup ever, right there. Uh, okay, so, yeah, I mean, look, when I, when I, uh, when the Grammys get announced, or like the Super Bowl halftime show, or the MTV Music Awards, like, I get kind of annoyed about the conversation surrounding them, because, you know, it's largely bands I don't give a shit about, but, like, I get a sense of, why they they matter and why people are talking about them. Like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's inner workings, like I honestly would much rather read like uh like a recap of the Bachelorette or, or like an episode of Selling Sunset. Like I just could I just could not give less of a shit about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Like if I were in Cleveland, I would like probably be like, oh hey, where's a good place to get a sandwich as opposed to like Let's go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And it's like, I, the fact that it's still called the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I think just kind of ensures its pointlessness. Because look, with all due respect to Fela Kuti, um, I think it's like kind of presumptuous to assume that this, you know, giant of Afrobeat and like is somehow rock and roll. I mean, I if, you know, it's like, it's almost like saying like, like inducting like Brahms or Beethoven into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It, like this person <laughs> is a giant of like, and I know that there's more of an influence going forward maybe, but like I don't quite see the connection currently. Um, but, you know, otherwise, it, when you look at this list, it's like how can you possibly take this shit seriously? I mean, like, I mean, Pat Benatar, like, I love as a battlefield. We belong. Fucking incredible songs. I like them more than anything the MC5 did. But, like, I don't know. I, I It takes a lot for me to think of more than two Pat Benatar songs. Because, uh, like, uh, we will be invincible. Yeah, I, don't, I, I you know get that, that confused with, like, uh, hit me with your best. Is she hit me with your best shot? Um... Or the warrior, or is that I, scandal? Fuck. The warrior is her. Okay. No, fuck. that's scandal. Okay, you see, scandal. Okay, that's but Patty like Smythe. you know, like at least with like the baseball hall of fame is like you know complete crock of shit as well. But like at least there's like some sort of objective criteria. Um, with the rock and roll, 
Yeah. yeah you need stats. Yeah. You, yeah. There's no equivalent yeah. to batting average, home runs, and, RBIs. And, and the Rock and Roll music. Hall of Fame to me is sort of like the Grammys in that there's like what seems every year like a clear attempt for them to address like, I don't know, the concerns about the limitations of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with also this bigger, <laughs> this bigger block of like just dullard, uh, boomer, nostalgia and it just it's it's just completely untenable and and i i just don't really care i mean like if you care about it great if you want me to vote for it fucking fine i will like nominate sponge because you know what like pat benatar they've got like three really fucking great songs well, you won't be yeah. on the nominating committee, just like I'm not on the nominating oh, right. committee. Look, I mean, you okay? You, I, I think you've roasted the Rock Hall. No, I, I have not. I've, I, I got a half. We get I it. I got a half hour it. more material. The people want it. Well, we got it. We got to get to Mitski and okay, Animal fine. Collective at some point. So just let me say quick that um, I, I don't really dispute a lot of what you're saying, but my attitude with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was. No matter my misgivings about this as an institution, it exists. <laughs> so if it exists, I want to have some sort of input. <laughs> into Fair. it so that, that that's my that that's my stance on it um but yeah the, your points about uh the idea of like fella cootie for instance being a part of the rock and roll story and not the afrobeat story i think that's well taken although i think multiple things can be true you can say that he's a giant of afrobeat putting him in the rock and roll hall of fame doesn't no. dis- dispel that all it does is maybe expand the definition of rock and roll and what it can be, which I don't think is a negative thing necessarily. Uh, to get back to the original question, he was asking like, what criteria do I uh, take into account when I'm voting? I mean, obviously some of the things you mentioned are important. I mean, I think actual quality is mm. important. That would be like my number one criteria. Do I think this is actually a great artist? And then you take into account, um, you know, the impact that they had on music, the influence they had on music. One thing that I really ask myself when I'm deciding whether to vote for somebody is, let's say someone goes to this museum in a hundred years. Okay. You know, I'm assuming that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in this scenario still exists, and like everyone, like we're all dead. All these musicians are all dead, and everyone alive, they have no direct knowledge of this era of music. Do you feel like the person could go to the museum and have? an accurate or complete picture of what mattered a hundred years prior, you know, if you voted this person in, like, is this person an essential part of the story? You know, so I would say like, that is a big criteria for me. And, you know, it really separates artists who are really great and that you like from artists that maybe you don't need in a museum to mm. tell that story, you know, like they're great, but like they weren't a hugely significant part of you know why music mattered or, or how it changed or how it evolved um looking at this body of nominees it's interesting because a lot of these people have been nominated before and didn't get in you know kate bush i know um judas priest fella Kuti oh. was nominated last year mc5 new york dolls rage against the machine there's a lot of repeats in this class it'll be interesting to see who gets in i would say that the biggest mm. lock oh is god Dolly yeah Parton. there's n- there's no way she's not getting in. And I actually feel like Eminem is a lock, yeah. too. And I think he should be a lock. I mean, no matter mm-hmm. how you feel about him, he is, um, I think he's the best-selling yeah, rapper gotta of be. all time. I don't, he's got to be the best-selling rapper, hugely mm-hmm. influential. 
Uh, and yeah, if you're talking about the history of rap music, you have to talk about Eminem. I've I've seen people make this point that it's kind of weird to induct Eminem when there's a lot of mm. black rappers who preceded him mm. who are not in the Hall of Fame. Um, but I don't yeah. think keeping Eminem out is necessarily so- the solution to that. I think you put Eminem in, and then next year you try to get some of these other mm. people in. Um, it is interesting to me that we still haven't seen like a lot of the great indie and alt rock bands mm. of the eighties, not only not get in, but they're never even like nominated. Like yeah. very often, uh, you know, it's like Sonic Youth. Sonic Youth has been nominated yet. I mean, they might've been nominated once, but you know, like I said, in this current class of nominees, some of these people have been brought back at least a couple mm. years in a row. You know, th- there seems to be something, there seems to be an effort by the nominating committee to push certain artists to give mm-hmm. them more chances. Whereas, you know, Sonic Youth, again, they're like basically the all the R yes. band could be your life bands, other than actually REM's yeah. not in that book. <laughs> so I think, uh, which is weird because mm-hmm. they should be, but um, but yeah, like Black Fag, Husker Du, Dinosaur Jr., Minutemen, uh, and even getting into some of like the grunge era stuff, like Nirvana's in, Pearl Jam's in, but like Soundgarden, Alice in Chains. No fucking None way. Of these groups are really. I mean, Soundgarden might have been nominated once, but you know, it seems like these bands get nominated once and then they don't get brought back, or maybe they get brought brought back again five years later. Uh, you know, because like Rage Against the Machine, like they've been up at least twice and maybe more than that. And I know Tom Morello is on the nominating <laughs> committee, uh, so uh, so I don't know. You it, know, Audio Slave might get there one day. <laughs> yeah, who knows? <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be funny if they got in before Rage Against the Machine um, and Soundgarden. But right. you know, I mean, nothing against like Lionel Richie or Carly Simon. Like they're they're fine. They they made good records. But like, if we're talking about like a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, like how essential yeah. are they to the story of? Of music of the last fifty years, I mean, Lionel Richie, I would see, I would yeah. make more of a case for, but I don't know, he, he's or like Eurythmics, like I think Eurythmics are a good band, but I don't know, mm. like were they ever considered like the most important or the greatest pop act of their time? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I guess we'll find that out when people vote. Uh, I think ballots go out at the end of February. Um, so I don't know. We'll find out. Yes, and uh, and then we could talk about this again. And Ian can you can finish the rest of your half hour rant against the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. People have spoken. But we need. We are. Uh, we went long we so did. far. We have. We have to blow through our reviews here. Yes. To get out in time, let's talk first. This is the meat of our episode, by the way. Uh, let's talk about the new Mitski record. It's called Laurel Hell. Mm. It's her first album since Be the Cowboy, mm-hmm. which came out in 2018. And on this record, you see Mitski taking some steps towards the pop mainstream. She co-wrote a song with Dan Wilson, who is a collaborator of people like Adele and Taylor Swift. She's also, uh, after her uh, American tour, she's going to be playing stadiums with Harry Styles mm. this summer. In the UK, which is pretty yeah. amazing. Um, and yet there's also evidence on this record of... Something that Mitski has been talking about in a lot of her interviews. If you've been reading profiles of Mitski on this album cycle, she's been talking a lot about how I think she has a certain ambivalence about her music career. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, in 2019, there was uh, speculation that she's going to be playing her last show, and she dispelled that. Although in her recent interview, she said that she actually did come close to quitting her music career. 
And this has become the predominant narrative when people talk about Mitski. Is she going to quit or is she going to stay? And the thing is that I feel like that ambivalence has seeped into her music, mm-hmm. which you can hear on Laurel Hell. Um, I wrote about this album this week. I'm curious, what do you think about this record? Yeah, so, you know, I think my definitive Mitski moment was when I saw her uh, back in 2016. It was shortly after the Puberty 2, like on the Puberty 2 tour. And um, she can usually be a very magnetic performer, but that night, like... You could just tell she was just really over it. Like she was like, "Okay, here's my big hit," and played your best American girl. And you know, I think that everything about this particular record, especially after "Be the Cowboy," made her even bigger. Has been like you said, this ambivalence of um, just being like feeling accountable to your fans. I think that you know, I'm sure as someone who wrote maybe the most overtly negative review of this album thus far, there's this. Uh, knee-jerk feeling like, oh my God, you're going to piss off the Mitski Stan army, which, you know, as she said in so many interviews, like is kind of a frightening thing to behold. Like, uh, you know, I know artists can't really account for how people relate to music once it's out in the world, but like she's said very overtly, like, hey, don't like, don't put me up on the on this pedestal as being like the voice of all, you know, Asian American people or what have you, and. Um, you know, what I get the sense from this record is it, it's almost like, okay, here's the record. Let's move on to the next thing. Because I think a lot of this record was already written like alongside Be the Cowboy. And it sort of sounds like that too. It, uh, you know, aside from like working for the knife, which oh, like outwardly addresses um, the like, should I continue with my music career? Um, a lot of these songs in terms of theme and uh, vocalizations like sound like cowboy B-sides, just kind of gussied up and, okay, here's my album. Because, I mean, Working for the Knife was made as like a form of contractual obligation. She's outwardly said that. Yeah, which is a weird way to sell a record. <laughs> and, you know, and I have to say, you mentioned my review. I mean, right in the headline, it says this album is a disappointment. Mm. So it wasn't it was pretty out front that I, I'm not really into this album. And it was funny when I tweeted out the review, I would say about two thirds of the, of the comments back to me were people saying, Oh, I'm sorry about your mentions. I'm sorry about your mentions. Whereas there was only like maybe two actual like angry people, you know, it, it, it was more people worried about Mitski fans going crazy than actual crazy Mitski fans. And maybe I just got lucky, or maybe there is a consensus feeling that this record isn't really as good as her previous work, which is, which I think is actually the feeling out there. I mean, there wasn't a lot of excitement for her singles. You know, it wasn't the same kind of build that really. I don't feel like people were talking about. Like, were you seeing excitement about it? I mean. I'm pretty sure working for the knife was in uh, Pitchfork's top ten of 2021. Um, I feel like may- there's maybe excitement for this, like kind of just off screen of like the people maybe we typically follow. But look, maybe yeah, I'm- I don't know. I mean, the reviews that I'm seeing are largely are positive. Mixed. Really? I I mean, I didn't you feel like the pitchwork review was pretty mixed? I thought the score was way more generous than the review. Well, I mean, they were like uh, they were like I get when I read it it's like okay, they're open about its flaws, but I think this is like a a kind of a daddy's home situation um 
where the review, like the act, like, you know, there's the quote word on the street, uh, at, you know, as we might describe it. And then the actual reviews itself. And there's a real, like, maybe there's definitely like a lesser excitement around this record, like justifiably so compared to like, uh, puberty Two or be the cowboy, because like, I, I think it's like extreme. Like I think it's very mediocre. Um, there's yeah, like I mean, a dis- I think it's by far yeah. her worst record, and especially of like her, you know, I mean, because her first couple records were self released, and then "Bury Me at Make Out Creek" yeah. was her was her breakout. So if we consider that era, like the post "Bury Me" era, this is I think clearly the weakest record. And yeah, you know, and I I made this point in my review. I I think one way this album suffers for me is that it's yet another record that is drawing on 80s pop music, which has become, I think, a really tired cliche. I mean, Taylor Swift, 1989, that record came out eight years ago now. I mean, that's how long this has been a trend in Indian pop music. So that feels a little bit tired. And then I think that's compounded by the fact that this record comes so close after Dawn FM, the weekend huh. record, which I think proved that you still can do 80s nostalgia extremely well. It just helps to have people like Max Martin and Wendell Point Tricks never in your corner. Like just incredible production talent, incredible songwriting talent. And after listening to Dawn FM, Laurel Hell to me just sounds kind of weak mm. compared to that. It's not catchy enough. It's not like shiny enough it just doesn't have the same kind of zip that that record does and you know to extend this weekend comparison you know he became a huge indie star i think even bigger than mitski is now i think he was no, really big way in the bigger world. way 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 bigger but then when he wanted but then when he transitioned to being a pop superstar yeah. he actually you know he he like uh got in people like max martin like he leveled up mm-hmm. And he and that's how he entered that world. And with Mitski, I feel like she's kind of doing that, mm-hmm. but not really. It's like she's trying to step up and surrender at the same time, and she's succeeding at doing neither. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so to me, that's the weakness of this record is that it just feels non-committal mm-hmm. to me. I, I guess I'm not sure. Does in, does Mitski want to be a, like a pop star, or does she want to be like the cult hero? And I think she could do either one, but. I think she can't have it both ways. And I feel like that's what this record is trying to do. Yeah, I think that there could be a fascinating record about that conflict if more of it was, I guess, lyrically in the vein of uh, working for the knife. But um, yeah, like 80s pop, it's just been so strip mined that it's impossible. It's not impossible to get anything new out of it. But also you add the layer of, you know, kind of her wheelhouse of like 90s pop alternative rock along with it and it just makes uh this record sound i don't know like very tame and behind the times almost like there's so many bands doing this but especially in the past year like doing a more pop version of it um that it sound and also like i'm just really surprised by the production because like it's the same people who did um you know her previous records her and patrick highland like a really talented uh, imaginative producer and a lot of the, the synth tones on here remind me of like what you can dial up on Logic X, like the the kind of synth, like the the preset where if like you're a novice musician, it's like, oh, cool. Like now my mute, like this sounds like an 80s pop song. But like, you know, if you're like an actual musician, it's like, yeah, you might want to like use something other than like the, the stock plugins. Um, 
yeah, there's just a sense of defeat around this record, um, which I guess if like you're a Miski super fan, you can really read hard into it and say it was all intentional to be this conflicted or noncommittal. But to me, it's just like, I don't feel like putting in the effort to yeah. know, hoist this up. Look, I like Miski. I think she's talented. Oh, absolutely. I think that, that she's going to have a, a bright future beyond this record. Yeah. Should I, she I choose like to have maybe, one, you know? Well, you know, maybe she has a bright future tending to her garden yeah. in Nashville. I think she's living in Nashville now. Um, but I really feel like she maybe has to move on and work with some other people. I mean, that was my feeling listening to this record. You know, she's made all these records with Patrick Hyland. It just seemed like maybe a change would be good mm. here because it just it just seems a little tired to me, and I think she could benefit from working with other people. Maybe Max Martin. Yeah. Maybe he wants to work with Mitski. Who knows? Um, but yeah, I, to me, again, I feel like this record is a disappointment. You said it's getting good reviews. I guess I need to dip into the Metacritic here and yeah. see other responses. My sense is that this album isn't going to age well. Even the people who are reviewing it well, it seems like the record, the kind of record that will fade mm. pretty quickly. But I've been wrong many times before. Maybe this will be a top 10 <laughs> album of the year yeah. on lots of lists. Um, let's get to our next record. It is Time Skiffs, the 11th album by Animal Collective. Mm. It's their first record in six years uh, since 2016's Painting With. Speaking of albums that have faded over time. <laughs> yeah, um, no, no one liked Painting With when that came out. Yeah, maybe so. You know, I'm gonna, and I was going to say this later, but I actually revisited that album mm-hmm. during the course of reviewing Time Skiffs, and I actually kind of like it more than I did at the time. Let's hold on that for yeah. now. Um, again, this is the first Animal Collective album in six yeah. years, although the band members have worked together in various other permutations uh, since then. Um, you know, like when I, re- I wrote about this record last week, mm-hmm. and one of the things I wrote about was just reflecting on the era of hipster hysteria, like when people just would complain about hipsters oh, yeah. all the time, just hating hipsters. Mm-hmm. You know, and, th- and that coincided with... Uh, the real sort of peak of Animal Collective's fame. Yes. You know, Meriwether Post Pavilion comes out in 2009, and they become a band that a lot of people like, and also the, uh, I think, a focal point for a lot of this sort of anti-hipster sentiment mm. that was there at the time. And it, it seemed like for people who didn't like Animal Collective that there was the suspicion almost that they, that that critics who liked them were were tricking them yeah. <laughs> into liking this band or that they didn't really like this band, but you know, they were weird or they were, you know, this was the kind of thing that we're sort of forcing people to like, yeah. uh, which I thought was a really interesting thing to look back on. Cause like I was reading old, you know, music reviews and columns and I don't know if you remember this, but you know, the passing job poll, that year, 2009, oh, yeah. Animal Collective top the list. Gab T or Gap T, which is like Grizzly Bear, Animal Collective, Dirty Projectors, Phoenix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like yes. <laughs> so it was like it was really like the peak of indie rock being, um, you know, in vogue critically. And I remember that there was at least one column, and there might have been multiple columns that the Village Voice published, coinciding with that poll, where they admonished their voters for putting so many animals, like putting Animal Collective up there and Grizzly Bear, and just hating indie rock so much. Mm. And uh, I really think this upset a few people online when I wrote this, but I really do think that in some sense, because the Village Voice at that time was a pretty influential publication. Oh, yeah. 
And I think that there was some degree of like working the refs at that time <laughs> where, because what the Village Voice was saying basically is that if you like these bands, you are lame. Yeah. It is lame to like these bands. And not to say that Animal Collective would have just gone on to huge success if that hadn't happened. But I do think that that was an integral moment in the turning of the tide away from these types of bands. Um, and it's just interesting to reflect on that in retrospect. Because, I mean, Animal Collective only had made two records in the 2010s. Oh, they made a and lot of music, rec- but two albums. They made a lot of music, but like under the name Animal Collective, yeah. that that as a brand name, which I think has a certain, uh, you know, power in the marketplace. Yeah, they did and, you EPs know. and visual albums and lot like they put out. But yeah, I was surprised to hear it's like yeah, but this is actually their first record, like album album since 2016. But they really they really backed away from the spotlight, oh, yeah. you know, in a real way. And maybe they would have done that anyway. But I. I I'm sure it was weird for them to be this uh, lightning rod. Yeah. You know, because they don't really seem like the kind of guys that would welcome that. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they just like want to mess around with floor toms and delay pedals and all that kind of stuff. Um, and anyway, all this is to say that the new record mm-hmm. um, sounds to me like the kind of record that a lot of people maybe wanted to hear after Meriwether Post Pavilion. Like if this had been the follow up to Meriwether Post Pavilion, I wonder what their career would have been like because it is the poppiest, most straightforward Animal Collective, I think by far. Hmm. It's like way straighter than even Meriwether Post Pavilion. Oh yeah. I mean there's there's very little about this record that's weird or noisy or off-putting. Mm-hmm. Uh which I think is kind of like a for better or worse proposition with this band don't you think yeah i mean i think that um you're right in that i wouldn't i don't know if i'd call it the most pop record i think it's it's the most straightforward in that it's not as outwardly uh abrasive or annoying as centipede hurts or, or uh painting with was like floridada like i think it's it's a very dumb song that i love watch the video you, like if you do nothing else from this episode like watch the video it's real like it's so they either have to be like so self-aware that it's painful or like just lack self-awareness of any modicum. But yeah, like when I hear this, like I've always believed that Animal Collective was just one album like this away from like getting, I guess, not the reputation rebuilt, but like having a different attitude towards them. Because what you were describing, that sort of uh, acclaim and backlash simultaneously happening was that, especially in the past decade, there was this idea that People were tricking people into liking Animal Collective or and similar bands, like, and that this was happening at the expense of pop artists. You know what I mean? Like, that's always been the disingenuous part of it. It's like, oh, people are tricking us into liking Animal Collective instead of say, you know, the most ubiquitous music on the face of the earth. You know, it just so happens to be that this type of music was loved by blogs and websites back when they had a oversized influence you know that just happens to be it and so i think that the desire to move on from that era has resulted in the music being criticized in a way that's a bit unfair but yeah i mean this is you know i i enjoy this album and i can put it on probably at work without annoying people like it's a beach house record you know what i mean <laughs> which is yeah. good but also i'm like i, I kind of want that abrasiveness you know i want even the even how it existed on like feels or like strawberry jam which are seen as like at the time very 
uh, accessible animal collective records. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. It, it, to get back to what I was saying about painting with, uh, which came out again in 2016, and I feel like that just came and went when that album came out. People were like, I don't have the patience for Animal Collective anymore in 2016. But when I was uh, you know, listening to Time Skiffs, I went back to those 2010s-era records, and I felt like, you know, yeah, Painting With is like a little too abrasive, but I feel like if you made a playlist of the best songs from Time Skiffs and the best songs from Painting With, it would almost achieve the balance that you're talking about where you'd have some beautiful songs and you'd have some more abrasive songs. And I feel like that's always the sweet spot with this band. Like, you bring up Feels. That, to me, is my favorite. That's, I think, the best Animal Collective record, in my opinion. And it's almost split evenly, like, between noisy, upbeat songs and these just beautiful, like, more like, ambient-sounding tracks. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that was my feeling listening to this record, too. Like, I like it for what it is. And I think it is the best record they've made since Meriwether Post Pavilion. Um but uh, yeah, I, I I do wish it was like a little weirder mm-hmm. than it is. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, the, when you talk about painting with came and went, like I just remember back in 2016 when I was still living in Glendale in LA, there was like a stretch of like a half mile of road that have I saw like four different Animal Collective painting with billboards. That's like the one thing I miss about LA is that Domino Records would always have like so many billboards for whatever record they were putting out at the time. Um, and I don't see that in San Diego. But yeah, like I think if 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 Animal Collective were putting out records at the same pace that they were in the 2000s, um, I might be more excited about this because like, okay, they're getting their more conventional one. Maybe they're going to do something weirder next year. And um, yeah, I think that like with this, it feels like, okay, cool. Like the the I, I like this record and also like I I want them to be is seen as this like oh no like I, I want them to like make people think that you might have to be lying to like them you know yeah I mean I think the best thing about mm-hmm. this album hopefully is that for maybe younger listeners that have never listened to Animal Collective if this is their entry point I think it is a very accessible entry yeah. point and that will lead to the older yeah. records. Uh, but it, but it's, it's nice to have Animal Collective back. I think we can both yeah. agree on that. Back, well, back, but also, like, making good music. <laughs> All right, we've now reached the part of our episode that we call Recommendation Corner, where Ian and I talk about something that we're into this week. Ian, why don't you go first? All right, so uh, in lieu of uh, Black Country New Road, I have a band that's kind of associated with them uh, called Death Crash. They're a British band uh, that I believe toured with Black Country New Road uh, last year. They um, have been described... I had not heard of this band prior to last week, but uh, it's one of those records that you see uh, on, like, emo Twitter uh, getting recommend... Like, getting described as, like, like what would seem like incompatible bands. Like, it's like, oh, it sounds like Slint. It sounds like Mogwai. It sounds like American football, but also low in codeine. And, you know, it's okay. This shit sounds like it's right up my alley. And lo and behold, um, particularly while it's still quasi winter in San Diego, i.e. like 50 degrees, uh, this sounds really good. It's an album called Return. Um, I believe it's still their debut. Um, And yeah, it is slowcore, talking vocals 
if you liked Spider-Land, but also wish it was a little more overtly pretty, like an American football record with those pretty guitar arpeggios, you, this is an hour of it. So um, yeah, it, this to me seems like a sleeper album. I think that it'll slowly accumulate um, renown in the various realms of slowcore, emo, Twitter, indie cast listeners. Um, so yeah, check this one out. Like I had, you know, forewarning it's, it is slow and also it's very immersive. So if you have like a half hour where you just want not half, like an hour, if you just want to stare into the middle distance, pondering our bleak existence or looking at the rock and roll hall of fame nominees, this is your, (laughs) this is your album. Death crash return. So, uh, the album I'm going to talk about, I think could also become a sleeper hit this year, Mm. at least with our listeners. Uh, it's by a guy called MJ Lenderman. Uh, you might know him as the guitarist in the Asheville, North Carolina band Wednesday, Uh, uh, whose 2021 album Twin Plagues. I can say I kind of slept on that record. I was aware Mm. of it, but I didn't really dig deep into it, but it's been an album I've been actually really enjoying for the past month. Um, I've heard it described as like a shoegaze country record uh it it probably leans more on the shoegaze side but there are occasional tracks that are a little folkier have some like lovely pedal steel guitar along with those heavy shoegaze type riffs uh on his own letterman uh, makes more kind of straightforward alt country uh i would say also very chugly alt country oh there it is for all the chugal fans out there um and uh while he has the all country uh, influence, he's also like he's not like a sad sack type uh, singer songwriter. A lot of his lyrics are are really funny. Uh, the uh, single that he put out recently is called Hangover Game, and it's about Michael Jordan. And it talks about you know getting the pizza delivered to him uh, in, in Salt Lake City. It just runs that down. It's a really uh, funny song, and it's set to like really kind of chunky guitars that remind me of like. AM era Wilco, uh, or like even like being there era Wilco. Um, his album is called Boat Songs. It comes out April 29th, so we have some time uh, before that record comes out. I can say though, since I have the promo, it is one of my uh, favorite albums of the early part of the year. It's really good stuff. Uh, so I would say for now, definitely go to your streaming platform of choice or go to Bandcamp where you can order the record. Listen to Hangover Game. It's a really great song, really funny song, catchy as hell. Uh, MJ Lenderman, remember that name. Uh, We are now out of trends to hash on this episode, so thank you for listening to IndieCast. We'll be back next week to trend more hashing or to hash more trends at that time. Take care. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box.